Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of The MN Corner. I'm Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. Stephen, there is one pressing question that I have to ask you this Lay morning. Lay it on me. The Saudi journalist who was allegedly murdered in the embassy in Istanbul. Yeah. How do we pronounce his name? <laughs> First of all, because for years I was under the impression that the name was Khashoggi. Yeah, because he is because that is a well-known the, the name of uh, Adnan Khashoggi right. should be known to lots of people right. as a Saudi arms dealer right. from the seventies and eighties. But now on CNN, they're pronouncing it like Khashoggi. <laughs> so, as somebody who is uh, an Arab speaker, can you please enlighten us? As to the pronunciation of this name. So it's interesting because the Khashoggi that everybody has always pronounced that name because he is the nephew of Adnan Khashoggi, a arms dealer, a notorious arms dealer. Um, it's because in Gulfi Arabic, the cough, which is kind of the Q sound, is sounds kind of like a G. But that's in Gulfi Arabic. So I think that's how we got to Khashoggi. And I think it's hilarious that all these people on, you know, TV are suddenly trying to pronounce it because they certainly can't pronounce an easier word, which is Tahrir. They're like Tahrir, Tarari, Atari Square, you know, no one can pronounce it. But if you wanted to do it um, correctly, it would be a Kha, like a Khashoggi. Um, but no one really pronounces it that way. And I think it's right. fun. it's funny. It's like when in the 1980s, the Contra War was going on and someone who had taken, you know, high school Arabic, but who was in uh, high school Spanish, but who was in uh, who was a newsreader would say all of a sudden be saying Managua, Nicaragua, <laughs> just say <laughs> Khashoggi or Khashoggi or something along those lines. But what's amazing about this story is that the Saudis have finally said, yes, he was killed in our embassy. But their explanation in their in their in their Istanbul consulate, but their story is so unbelievable. Well, there was a fight and he started started a fight and he resisted and he fell on our bone saw. I mean, yeah. He fell on the bone saw 180 times. <laughs> They've been better off saying Colonel Mustard did it in the library with the candlestick. I mean, this, I mean, this is a crazy story. Like, how many different versions of this are, is the gov- Saudi government going to go oh through? Oh my before? god, it's just despicable. He left. We don't know where he is. We're very worried about his disappearance. Right. I, I right. mean. Yeah, that was what they now started. Got, now it's the, there was a fight, right. and then the, we had the rogue killer theory. That was you know the President Trump's trial balloon, and now we have yeah, the, there was work. a struggle, f- and he was killed accidentally, and okay. we've arrested eighteen okay. people, etc. He was what he he was what like fifty nine years 59 old. Fifty nine years old. So a fifty nine year old journalist goes to the consulate to get some paperwork right. taken care of, and then somehow starts a brawl with 15 members of the Saudi security it's service. Always who, as you mentioned, happened, it's always 15 Saudis. It's always 15. Happen to have... Exactly. 
15 hijackers, 15 attackers. I mean, 15 of 19 and they were, hi- were and, Right. And they happen to have a bone Actually, saw. Actually, from what I understand, them. the bone saw thing is a total fabrication by the Turkish press. Oh, yeah. really? So he wasn't chopped up? Uh, he may have been, but there was no bone saw involved. Uh, I don't. Oh, so there was just a brawl without the bone saw. <laughs> what my understanding is now, and of course, you know, we've been through how many evolutions of this. None of the Saudi explanations have made sense. But of course, there's always right. a problem when it comes to the Turkish press as well. I mean, notorious fabricators. So Right. So who's who? I think. I mean, you and I have talked about this. It's like, okay, the Turkish press as you just said, are notorious fabricators. The Saudis are not exactly truth-tellers either. So when every... And, you know, our current administration has a tenuous relationship with truth as well. So if everybody involved is a freaking liar, whose story are you well, believing? Well, I think you kind of have to give it to, you know, the Turkish version of events that he was killed, if only because yeah, the Saudis haven't produced Jamal Khashoggi. You know, will you pronounce that name properly, please? <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. There's no videotape of him leaving. There's no. There is video evidence of him going, going in, in, but no. We video see that going of in. him leaving. There's no Donair kebab sales. You know, shop say, oh yeah, he came in on his way out. There's no video footage of him from the airport. There's nothing. He's clearly been I killed. I would say, I would say that if I went to the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. On my way out, I would go for Oh, uh, you have to go for donor. No, no, well, because no, no doubt the Saudis will hold you longer than you expect to be there. I once was told <laughs> to go to the Saudi embassy in Manama, Bahrain, and I'll be boop in, boop out, visa, no problem. Five hours later, um, so, and I really could have used a donor when I left that. <laughs> yeah, but you were in I Turkey. I wasn't in Turkey. I was, time, in, my, so. I was in Bahrain. But they, they yeah, kept so me for five hours. Wondering where the nearest. They kicked me out for lunch, but then I had to come back <laughs> and wait. They kicked you out, so they came <laughs> right, right, right. Not about your lunch. Five hours. They didn't care. I if missed you my flight. It was terrible. I had to hire a driver to take me to Riyadh. I mean, it was har- it was a harrowing experience. But no, I well, was not I killed. That's that pales, pales in comparison, comparison to, to what happened to poor Jamal Khashoggi. Security, security, yes, security forces. Well, I didn't start a fight. I didn't start a fight with anybody. (laughs) So you were smarter than Khashoggi. Oh, my. He could never start a fight and then counsel it. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're laughing about it, but it's so absurd. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be laughing about this. But, uh, you know, there is something about this story. There are so many horrible things. But there's one thing that I feel like not... There aren't enough people who are questioning this. So, of course... Our president, your president, my president, somebody's president, I don't know, says, well, that's you know, credible. We can't jeopardize. Your, well, yeah, it's credible. But more importantly, we can't jeopardize this, the arms deal with them because we sell a lot of arms to this government, right. to the Saudi government, and we don't want to damage that. So here's the thing that I feel like not enough people are asking. Why? Are we selling billions of dollars in arms to this horrible country? And if the answer is because if we don't, somebody else will, that's not good enough. That's so, just not good enough. So a couple of things on this. One, yeah. the $110 billion arms deal that the president has cited was actually yeah. something that the Obama administration negotiated. Um, Doesn't mean I know. Good. I'm just saying. I'm, and... 
the Saudis actually haven't spent anywhere close to 110 billion. I, I think it was um, a guy from Brookings named Bruce Rydell who used to work at CIA, who's a, a very smart Saudi analyst. Figured it out that it was really only at this point they've only spent really about 14 or 15 billion dollars on arms. But still, you know, the argument is that if it's not if we don't, someone else will. It's that oh, you know, Raytheon and you know, Lockheed Martin and Boeing, this is what keeps people employed in important states like right. Texas and right. whatever. So that's, I think, the argument so, that, it, that the president is is making. And it, it's hilarious. He said, well, it's a very credible first step. Uh, they've announced an investigation and uh, no need to uh, suspend arms sales to Saudi Arabia. So let's be clear then. Let us be clear. As long as that was very Obama-like. We're talking about America. As long as we're talking about um, yeah, let's be clear. As long as we're talking about American jobs, it's irrelevant <laughs> what the money is going for. <laughs> I mean, have we lost? I, I'm asking a rhetorical question because I know the answer. Like, have we lost our moral compass completely? Well, think about this. We provide support to the Saudis in Yemen. Um, yeah. We. You know, replenish the uh, weaponry that they expend there. We provide them aerial refueling. Uh, we've tried to provide them with help in in targeting and stuff. And Yemen. Now, the war in Yemen was going on before the Saudi intervention, but the Saudis have clearly made it worse. This is a country that is uh, on the verge of famine. Uh, I think the World Health Organization said we're. They, they fear a million cases or more of cholera. Um, this is one of the wealthiest countries in the region, bombing indiscriminately the poorest country in the region. Um, and the Saudis, I remember being in Saudi Arabia not long after their intervention began, and they said, well, we're fighting for the free world in Yemen. And then they said, we don't want we don't want the Hezbollahization of Yemen. And my reaction to that was, gee, they didn't mind the Hezbollahization of Lebanon Um, or maybe they minded it, but they didn't do much about it. And then um, one, the intervention in Yemen has actually made that a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now there really is a Hezbollahization of Yemen. Hezbollah has actually been helping the Houthi militia or army that has been fighting in Yemen. It's unbelievably awful. This is, this is mind-boggling. Mind and, mind, and it starts with the premise that the Saudis are fighting for freedom <laughs> anywhere. Fighting for freedom. I mean, come on. A country with, when a, we're with gender on the apartheid. Saudis, when, when we're dependent on the Saudis to defend freedom, <laughs> I think we've, we're through the looking glass. I mean, come on. This is what they said. Man. This is, and I'm not talking about, like, down. Saudis in the this street. This is bizarre. I'm world. talking about, like, the chief of the general staff. We're fighting for freedom. I mean, that must have been his talking point when he was talking to Americans. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, we all looked at each other. It's only like <laughs> My heart swells with pride when I hear that. <laughs> it was oh, my crazy. Lord. This is this is insane. And then, of course, you go, you move on to the Emirati Defense Ministry, and their senior officials are like, "Yeah, we're fighting in Yemen too because we're afraid the Saudis are going to lose." Oh my god! 
This is insane. Totally. How does Iran fare in this whole deal? Well, this was the thing, you know, that the Saudis, the Emiratis, and support and their supporters have said, you know, the, this is the, the Iranians are deeply involved yeah. in this militia, and this militia is a Shia militia. Actually, they are the 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 Houthis. Now, the Houthis are named after a guy, um, and Hussein al Houthi, who had this kind of crazy worldview. He was a 9-11 truther. He said the Americans and Zionists pulled it off to justify the invasion of Muslim lands. And when you listen to them, it's like a hodgepodge of stuff from like the Islamic State and stuff that Hezbollah would say. Now, they're Shia. They're from the Zaidi sect or branch of Shia Islam, but they don't share the same theology necessarily as the Iranian revolutionaries. They're not 12 or Shia. So they're related, whatever. But meanwhile, it's enough just to say that they're Shia that for a lot of people in the Washington world to say, oh, they're, you know, they're down with the Iranians. I think what happened was this war was going on and the Iranians took an opportunity to provide support to the Houthis. But this was not one of those things where the Iranians came in and have uh, and 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 stirred up trouble as they've done in 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 other places and right. by dint of the right. saudi intervention this kind of it became this dynamic where the saudis intervened and then the iranians stepped up their support for the houthis and we're often running into this awful proxy war so so i think it's safe to say that these are not your bubbies <laughs> perfect these are not your bubbies ladies <laughs> But in general, the macro. So, you know, we have allied ourselves with all sorts of unsavory forces in the Middle East because we're afraid of of Iran. Yeah. So when all of this shit hits the fan, mm-hmm. doesn't this just strengthen Iran at the end of the day? Doesn't this just what? Strengthen Iran at the end uh, of the day? Well, I think given the fact that we tend to ally ourselves with people who are... In, crazily incompetent or we encourage them to do stupid <laughs> We're things. We're good at that, actually. Although the, the, Saudis, the Saudis dreamed this thing up on their own and didn't really tell the United States that this is what they were going to be Although doing. Although the U.S. intelligence services had information about this, according to what I've read. Yeah, that, of uh, what, of Khashoggi or of uh, Yemen? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I think undoubtedly so. Um, but the Yemen thing, they, you know, the Saudis kind of went into a room, rewrote their defense doctrine and said, hey, let's try it out on, on, on Yemen <laughs> without really saying to the United States, hey, we're going to do this. They had so little trust uh, in in President Obama because he was negotiating the the nuclear deal with the Iranians, so they were yeah. you know pissed off by this. And then Obama sort of got dragged into this logistical support for Yemen because he wanted to demonstrate to them, hey, look, I'm negotiating or I've negotiated this deal, but that doesn't mean that I'm not supportive of your security needs. So you know, kind of typical Obama, in, uh, you know, splitting the difference in the middle and making everybody unhappy in the process. But on the Khashoggi thing, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I think there was a debate and the intelligence community isn't, isn't, uh, isn't commenting on it, that there was, that they have something, it's like a a duty to warn an individual if they're in kind of in their, if they're in imminent danger. And I don't think anybody believed that they were going to kill him. I, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know. This this it was the craziest, strangest, most bizarre thing in the world. Yeah. Besides the Trump and presidency. Of course, why did you have to say that? Why, you know, I was having such a good time discussing you know, this deep dive into the Middle East, and now you made me sad. I'm sorry. Because it's why, so... You know, it's, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah. You know how they say that the presidency ages the office holder? Yeah. This presidency is aging the rest of us. <laughs> and Trump looks pretty I good. Mean, and well, he does. He's, you know, those cheese, he looks like he's packing a big bag all the cheeseburgers pot- and fries. He hasn't lost any weight. He doesn't look any less he orange. He looks like a big bag of potatoes <laughs> with, you know, yellow hair. But the rest of us, I mean, how many times have you woken up in the middle of the night and just abject fear, like panicking, like, what what country are we living in? Because my, my you know, woken how, up in the middle of the night, my jaw hurts from clenching it in my sleep. Right. And... And how obsessively are we watching the news and just every congressional district and places that we've never even heard of have taken on this outsized importance to us? Oh, my God. Wait, can I just tell you? That guy who represents, I don't know, a big chunk of Suffolk County, Long Island, Lee Zeldin, is that his name? He he kicked off a campaign event the other day with Sebastian Gorka. Wasn't I don't know if it was the other day, but he I, or maybe he opened his reelection campaign, and the headline was Sebastian Gorka. What was he strapping? Was he packing heat? Was Sebastian like, Gorka packing heat when he showed up? There are still people who who take Sebastian Gorka right. seriously that he's not just some I mean, clown. Come on. Like he, you know what we need a headliner for this. Who can who can get I'm, asses in the seats? You know what? I think Sebastian. I mean, there weren't any other ridiculous Republican. I know. Seriously, Stephen Miller was. (laughs) Stephen Miller was too busy. Stephen Miller was too busy. But eating human (laughs) fetuses. I mean, come on. It couldn't have gotten like uh, I don't know. Laura Ingram. (laughs) Laura Ingram to give the the Nazi salute. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, oh my God! Unbelievable, Sebastian Gorka. But anyway, all right, go we ahead. have we've definitely aged over the last two years. Well, I mean, more than normal, more than. <laughs> I was going to say, I am two years older. Um, that we have all gotten older, but I think like in like. Yes, in, the bags under my two, eyes more, tell the story. Yeah, it's more than two years. We've all aged like a decade in the last two years. No, no, no. I, I the bags under my eyes are unbelievable. I did that interview on MSNBC, and they sent me the link, and I was like, Jesus Christ! So, how much of this is natural aging, and how right. much of this is oh my god? I mean, it's true. My father my... had these giant bags under his <laughs> eyes, but I think I got the I think I got my mom's side on this, and. <laughs> And it was like, oh my god, I have Michael Cook bags under my eyes. That's crazy. Did your mom say anything to you about your appearance on when you were on TV? She missed it. She was playing bridge. Oh, so, so you're unfortunate. So she, she called and it. she said, "I hear you on TV," and I said, "I was. I'm tired. I'm gonna talk to you later." And we hung up. And, and that was it. She didn't comment on your appearance. <laughs> I don't think she saw it. Whew. She's not as adept on Facebook as I think she would like to be. So, yeah. So, wait, okay. That. So we pivoted from Yemen to Sebastian Gorka. Like, Sebastian Gorka would be like, yeah, we got to support the Saudis in Yemen. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> plus, you know, 
we don't have allies in a lot of places. We can't pick and choose our friends as well as we would like to. So, you well, know, I, these are our murderers, and we're going to stick with the them. The thing I wrote about Everybody's this... Everybody's a murderer. The, the pivot I moved I, in, my, in my upcoming uh, column was I moved from the whole Khashoggi death to this question of, you know, the Washington Post asked a question in an editorial like 10 days ago, why do we need the Saudis or do we need the Saudis? They didn't really yeah. answer it. So I kind of went through each and everything. And I was like... And do we need, do we need the Saudis? Hmm. No, we don't. Of course we don't need the Saudis. The Saudis actually... So, you can you, Everything they've done, you can either put in uh, under the category of unhelpful or counterproductive. It's, so it's like the Turks. We talk about these countries as, oh, there's such support, important strategic allies. And then you like do a fair assessment of what it is that they've done. And you're like, Jesus. But but historically, though, the argument for why we needed Saudi Arabia is because we were dependent on their oil. Right. We're no longer as dependent on their oil. No. But now, apparently, we're dependent on their arms purchasing right it's, it actually arms arms deals to the Middle East are more important to the United States than oil but I will say an argument can be made for the continued presence of the United States in the Gulf because we have a, a, a genuine interest in a in a healthy global economy and some of our biggest trading partners, all <laughs> until we started these trade wars, well, um, are dependent upon energy coming out of the Persian Gulf, uh-huh. uh, China, India, Japan, South Korea. These countries all really need that, that oil. And so up until recently, we've determined that we want to trade with these countries and that um, part of that is obviously um, helping to ensure or actually it really was up to us because we, you know, haven't, there isn't really anybody else who helps to secure the, the Persian Gulf. Um, yeah, but America, America first, Stephen. <laughs> right. So now America the argument, first. I guess, can be made. It's even, we're even less dependent. And so what, right. do we need this, what do we need the Saudis for? Because they're a market for our arms. Right now, that's the yeah, only thing we got. That's pretty right? much it. That's pretty much it. I mean, to say that, oh, they're... You know, they're very important in countering Iran. I mean, I guess when you look at it, they're the last kind of major Arab state standing that can do anything. But mostly what the Saudis have been doing for 40 or 50 years is writing checks to keep problems outside of their own country, regardless of the consequences. Right. And anytime they've kind of stepped up to try to actually counter Iranian influence in their midst, They've been incompetent about it. They didn't want it. They they weren't interested in Iraq because we had empowered the Iraqi Shia, so they took a step away. Meanwhile, the Iranians made all these inroads, and is now the most influential country in Iran. Um, in, in in Iraq. In the, in, in, right. In, they, we yeah. they you know Lebanon was always kind of a playground for the Saudis, but they never really countered the uh, the. Uh, the Iranians, they they committed to three billion dollars to the Lebanese armed forces in the last few years, and then they rescinded it, and then they supported the Hariris, who you know were these corrupt uh, politicians slash leaders of this uh, construction conglomerate in the Middle East and whatever. And then Mohammed bin Salman didn't decided he didn't like Saad Hariri, and then forced him to resign, and then he came back, and this backfired because everybody's like, you can't force another country's prime minister resigned. This is basically handing another victory to the Iranians. And then, of course, you have Yemen. 
Yeah. So what is it that they so, what is it that the Iran the, the Saudis had done to actually counter the Iranians? Everything they had done. Nothing. They buy our stuff. But let's say, right. for argument's sake, yeah. that you know we adopted a more uh, traditional approach to foreign policy, or one that we used to. This is a least. traditional approach to foreign well, policy. Yeah, but I mean, like, let's say that the one that we used to pay lip service to. So let's say that we said, okay, we're done with you, Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. We're done. Forget about the arms sales, because whatever, we're going to forego that, that money. We're not buying your oil anymore. How long does Saudi Arabia last like this? You know, I mean, look, this is exactly, you're echoing something that President Trump said a few weeks ago. Oh, thank you. You are. Thanks. You absolutely Thanks. are. And I, I hate to do this to you. I know it's going to be, it's going to be, make it for a, a difficult day for you. But he said, if not for U.S. support, Saudi Arabia would collapse in what, three days? I think he said three okay. days. Okay. Well, so I'm asking, I, I'm asking the question. I, I, what, I honestly, what would I be think, the impact uh, on us? What would be the negative impact on us for that happening? I, I, I don't think that Saudi Arabia would collapse. Um, not, in th- not in three days. No, I, I don't think. I don't think it would collapse. Would it be forced? Would it be forced to modify its behavior? Um, I think that that would be one possible outcome, but I think we would also have to keep in mind that the Saudis have resources of their own um, yeah. that it they would feel that the United States was emboldening their internal critics and that you might have a, a, an incredible wave of repression in Saudi Arabia. You would uh-huh. have them uh, hedging with, you know, obviously the Chinese, the Russians. I mean, I don't really care if that's the case. Right. Um, in fact, at the height of the Khashoggi, 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 <laughs> Uh, incident, they uh, they said that they would, you know, kind of, they would work with the Iranians. I mean, these were kind of empty threats. But right. I think that there's um, it, there's the possibility, it, it, it wouldn't necessarily push the uh, the Saudis in a more progressive, uh, in a more progressive way. But, it at might, the very, it, but at the very least, it would give us the feeling that we have some leverage and that we're not well, that's to these economic interests. That's the function of that. An unfortunate result of imperial overstretch is that when you become dependent and you tell yourself over many years that these are strategic allies and that you yeah. couldn't possibly rock the boat with them and they spend $50 million a year on lobbyists and fake organizations to a- advance their agendas in Washington so yeah. that people believe these things you can't, you you end up in this kind of pathological relationship with countries. And then when you step back, maybe, you know, maybe the the one good thing out of this episode is that it's forcing people to take a step back and actually understand what this relationship is really about. And you see that it, it essentially boils down to selling them weaponry. Okay. And up until 2015, they never used this stuff. It was so- just a kind of thing where... They bought stuff. Now, it's not just – and it's across the board. It's Republican and Democratic administrations. I remember when Bill Clinton went to Saudi Arabia. It wasn't arms, but he went to seal a deal where Boeing sold, you know, a zillion airplanes to the the, the Saudi National Airline. So there always has been this kind of commercial aspect to it because – you know, it's like, uh, you know, the Saudis uh, are washing uh, oil revenue. 
Okay, so let me just ask you another question then. So yeah. if, if we are loath to reevaluate this historical relationship or traditional relationship with our allies around the world, uh, it doesn't seem that that holds uh, with our European allies. Right. Because we're certainly, we seem willing to throw them under the bus for apparently no reason at all because they've been taking advantage of us for years. Right, right. Look, that seems to be, let's seems face to be it, some sort the of president likes, in there. The president likes strongmen. Yeah, we know, you know that. So Mohammed <laughs> bin Salman, is a t- he's, he's a tough kid. He's a tough kid. Um, I mean, he did seem to like Macron, but, you know, Macron so, doesn't clearly, clearly isn't a Trump guy. Right. Um, right. So alliances, alliances are bad <laughs> unless you're with dictators. <laughs> yes. Oh. I mean, that seems to be the bottom line. Unless it's, I mean, let me modify that. Unless it's with dictators with whom the president has a um, business relationship, a private business relationship. Well, I, you know, he was fist bumping with Erdogan a few days before Erdogan cr- double crossed him over the summer. Uh, the business ties thing, you know, look, the Saudis, there is no Trump International in Saudi Arabia. There's no Trump golf course in Saudi Arabia. But of course, the. The Trump Hotel on Columbus Circle yeah. was not making any money. And then the Saudis decided that that's where they would stay in New York. And they've been spending copious amounts of money there. Um, and we by have, the way, I once stayed in that hotel. Yeah. It's actually pretty nice. It's nice. Yeah, but we it's have really no nice. idea what kind of money has been funneled to the Trump family from the Saudis. Well, we do know that, uh, you know, Jared Kushner's uh, brilliant uh, building purchase, what is it, 6-something Fifth Avenue? What, what's I think the, it's 666 Fifth Avenue. <laughs> is it really? No. I think so. Anyway, um, actually an investment firm connected to the Qataris uh, bailed them out yeah. on that one. And the Qataris obviously are in conflict with the Saudis. Um over basically what's a, like a personal feud between cousins, so um, yeah, uh, there's there are those things too. You never know with the with the with the Trump family what right, what business there, ties are going on no and how that's motivating the president. Right, because there's no transparency. Right. Zero. I would suspect, however, that you know people like the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, the National Security Advisor, all these guys are serious hardliners on Iran. Yeah. And the president himself is a hardliner on Iran. And they, for I, I guess, make the argument for better or worse, the Saudis are our strategic ally, our pillar in the in the region, uh-huh. the leader of the Sunni states. And, uh, you know, it would be bad to uh, let this relationship go. But we and, can we can let the relationship with France, England and Germany. Go. <laughs> That's OK. Those well, those countries are not that important to us. I always I think you know the Persian Gulf is important because it's got oil, but uh, I think Europe is is a strategic interest. The stability of Europe is a strategic interest of the United States, and the president clearly doesn't see it that way. It's just a bizarre to me. Clearly, bizarre, bizarre, totally bizarre. Wow, so. I think we've I think we've uh, talked this one out today. 
And I wanted to talk about Lee Zeldin and, and, and Sebastian Cork, and you made me talk about the Middle East. Sorry, What's the matter with you, man? But at the very least, we now know that we can still say Khashoggi and not feel bad about it. Say Khashoggi. It's like all these people saying it. Like I said, it's just like Managua, Nicaragua. <laughs> just say Managua, Nicaragua. Just say Khashoggi. You say. can't say Tahrir. Well, the problem with Tahrir Square is I think people aren't really trying to say it and they say it wrong. And then they try to say it. It's Tahrir. It's like, ah. But they can't say it. So... Khashoggi. Yeah. You say Khashoggi, I say Khashoggi. I say he's dead. <laughs> I say they killed him. Who was it? Someone sent me a text this week and said, MBS, Mohammed bin Bonesaw. <laughs> it's like, too soon. Yeah, too soon. Too soon. Oh, All my right. God. All right. We're done. I guess, that's, I guess we're done for, for this episode. All right, well, that's Until been fun. next time, maybe we'll talk about some elections. Oh, God. Yeah, don't. Just don't. Just don't. I All forgot right. about that for a few minutes. All right, everybody. We're, We're out of here. Out.